Hello and welcome to the Jazz Jam Podcast. I'm your host, Dwayne Gunnels, joined by my co-host, Max Levy. And on today's episode, we are doing an iconic Blue Note recording by the likes of Wayne Shorter. This album is Speak No Evil. Uh, It was recorded in 1964 and released on Blue Note Records, as we said. Um, It was recorded kind of right when Wayne Shorter joined uh, Miles Davis's quintet. And so this is Wayne's sixth album released in 1966, but recorded in 1964. Um, It's really known for having elements of both hard bop and modal jazz, and it's well regarded as uh, Wayne's best records. Um, So Max, I'm excited to get into this one. Uh, What are you thinking about this this, uh, episode here today? Well, I wanted to make sure we did a Wayne Shorter album relatively recently. you know, before the year was over because we just lost Wayne Shorter. He passed away, uh, I think, a couple months ago, maybe even a little further than that. But he, he was an incredible player and composer, really, and um, just an iconic figure in this music. So I, I really want to make sure we did some Wayne Shorter sometime soon. And so we're getting into one of his best albums, in my opinion. And if you don't know, this album, Speak No Evil, was included in Ben Ratliff's uh, publication called Jazz, A Critic's Guide to the 100 Most Important Recordings. So according to those in the know, this is probably one of the top 100 jazz recordings, at least, um, that we have from the 20th century. And I think it really showcases Wayne Shorter's creativity, his compositional ability. I think he's a fantastic composer. Um, and his overall leadership as a leader, like you said, he was really a sideman of Miles Davis's around this time. And before that, he was a sideman for Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. So he had a lot of experience up to this point, and his leadership really shines through because of how well they play on this record and how well the compositions come across. And, you know, when you think about Wayne Shorter, and we'll get into his, his bio in just a second, um, he was really Miles's right-hand man in the time he was with Miles when talking about original recordings and compositions. And I mentioned this before once, but you know, Wayne Shorter would write ideas in a little black book. And when it came time to record with Miles, uh, Wayne brought that book and a lot of the compositions that they played on some of those recordings came straight from that little black book. And the next recording session after that, Miles would always say to Wayne Shorter, bring the book. So (laughs) he always had that little black book with him. So a lot of great things about Wayne Shorter um, to think about when you think about this record and his presence in this music. He was an overall great saxophonist and composer, like I mentioned, born in Newark, New Jersey in 1933. He took clarinet lessons at age 16 and then soon started playing saxophone before enrolling at NYU in 1952, he got a degree in music education, played in the U.S. Army for a couple of years, also played with the great Maynard Ferguson after he was discharged from the military. And then he joined R. Blakey's Jazz Messengers in 1959, where he was an important member for about four years. And he was Art's musical director, and he composed a lot for the group. And that's when, right after that, he joined Miles Davis's second great quintet, in 1964, where he was a prominent contributor of compositions and great saxophone solos. 
Herbie Hancock is known to say that Wayne was the master writer of the group. At the same time he was with Miles, he recorded a number of albums for Blue Note Records as a leader and also as a sideman, and then Shorter formed the fusion group Weather Report in 1970 with co-leader, pianist, and composer Joseph Zawinul, and they lasted until about 1985. Wayne also played with the likes of Carlos Santana, Don Henley, Wallace Roney, Terry Lynn Carrington, until his next big endeavor with his own quartet, <clears throat> which he formed in the year 2000. And that featured Brian Blade, John Patitucci, and Dan Danilo Perez. And in 2018, he retired from playing, but still composed and was relatively active until his death on March 2nd, 2023 of this year. So yeah, March 2nd was when he passed. And there's a couple of interesting personal life things to note about Wayne Shorter. Number one, he was married a few times. His second wife, Anna Maria, unfortunately passed away in a plane crash in 1986, the TWA flight 800, where it exploded in midair and went down in the water. This was the second deadliest aircraft accident in the U.S. at the time. So a little interesting connection there with Wayne. And then also there is also a Tina Turner connection. And Tina Turner just passed away not too long ago this year. And apparently, according to Tina's memoir titled Happiness Becomes You, right after Tina left Ike Turner to escape the physical and, and emotional abuse she was getting, she moved in with Wayne Shorter, Wayne and Anna Shorter, for about six months. And she used their home as sort of a safe haven uh, to get away from Ike. And also, I know Herbie Hancock was very helpful towards Tina as well. She would say that, you know, she really took advantage of her, quote, jazz friends at that time of her life. Yeah, those are some some really interesting connections there, because you, when you think of Wayne Shorter, you don't necessarily think of uh, of Tina Turner, you know, as being someone who he'd be personally connected with. But they they were close. Um, some of the other players on this album, I mean, we just have an all star cast here. We get Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, really one of the hard bop greats i mean throughout multiple eras of the music from you know bop to hard bop into some of the later fusion stuff freddie's there for all of it so we get freddie uh, hubbard on trumpet the fantastic herbie hancock on piano is this the first time we've had herbie on the podcast no we we talked about him a little bit on chick korea's album that we went over um uh the fusion group uh, with Kenny Garrett and Herbie was a guest on one of those oh, tracks. Okay. So we yep, had, yep. But we not, at least mentioned him. We haven't gotten him in in his full form yet, so this is going to be a, a real treat. Uh, we get Herbie Hancock on piano, and then we get the incomparable Ron Carter on bass, one of the best to to ever do it. And then likewise, we get Elvin Jones on drums, also one of like just. You couldn't, I mean, these guys are all top three musicians on their instrument of all time. It's hard to really debate um, any of that with this, everyone, you know, Wayne, it's hard to saxophone players, but Freddie, Herbie, Ron, and Elvin, I mean, most people would have those guys somewhere in their, their top three musicians on their instruments. So it is, this is just an, an awesome cast. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into this one. Yeah, we're basically getting three of the members of Miles Davis's group at this time, plus Freddie on trumpet. So Freddie's replacing Miles if in that collaboration. And then we get Elvin Jones on drums instead of people like Tony Williams. So yeah. it's a really great mix of players. 
that three of them we know play really well together and are just fantastic musicians, especially at this time of jazz recording and, um, you know, creation. So it's really great to see so many heavy hitters playing together. You know, that's one lesson to learn from this album. And I know we're not in school, but sometimes, you know, as, as jazz players, we think about, okay, what are the three or four things this album really gives me as a, as a growing and learning and developing musician. And one of them is how well you can play together, even if you're such a big name and big player and, you know, it's all about the music. And we hear that quite a bit on this record as we uh, continue to, to talk about it. We'll see that come up again and again. I think that's a great point. That's something that I didn't even really think about, but it's like, it's not about ego on this album. It is, it's all about the music and it's all about Wayne's compositions here. I mean, so that's, that's a great point. These players are all great and you could see where Herbie could be like, you know, his ego could get in the way. He could be like, Oh, I'm so great. You know, I want to be featured in this way, but it's not, it doesn't seem like that at all. Everyone's just right in the music and the compositions and plays so well with, within what Wayne's written. So absolutely it's all about the music here and speaking of that shall we get into it let's do it all right the first track that we get on this you know classic album is called witch hunt um it's a great tune and it's known well amongst players because of its use of the fourth interval if you don't know the fourth interval is is the sound that you get like at the beginning of the here comes the bride song or theme of the of the song that that op- first two notes that opening interval is a fourth also blues music is uh from one to four so if you think of that you know the fourth bar in a, a blues change that's going to the fourth there as well so that's true a lot of, a lot of fourth movements in in jazz and this just takes advantage of that but i also really like the introduction we get a crisp horn line equipped with two bar phrases where the tail end of the phrases are caught with the rhythm section playing along. It's a very neat sort of opening technique. It's got fire. It's got energy. We're hitting off right off the bat. Um, Overall, the song is a 24-bar form, and over time you realize Wayne Shorter really likes these 24-bar form tunes. Think about his classic standard footprints in 3-4 time, but the overall form is 24 bars. Um, And he just continues to go back to that form over and over again in his compositions this one included uh and footprints and witch hunt are kind of similar not only in song form but also some chordal movement it's not exactly the same but it's very similar and i also really love the lingering notes that bring in the excuse me the start of the song form i want us to listen to that lingering note together and, and and see how it develops within this first 25 seconds um, of the song. Mm. Yeah, you want to catch the entrance and the pulse of the drums, especially during that lingering note. And then the driving, heavy, swinging, walking bass that Ron Carter gives us pulls everything together. It's a great compositional technique. It's not that challenging, but it feels so good. And it sort of creates that tension and release effect that we often get in great music. Any thoughts on that? 
No, I just, yeah, it's, we're getting kind of the feel for the compositions right off the bat. Um, and just kind of the, the melodies stick out so, so much to me here on this album. So we're getting it kind of just right, right off the bat with Witch Hunt. Yeah. Now, like I said, the melody sort of defined by that movement and forts. And then there's a hint of a lot of thematic development. There's a lot of little themes that come together to make up the melody. It's sort of built by these repetitive themes, similar to moments that I hear in Wayne Shorter's soloing. Mm. And that's a little connection I'll make, you know, later on too, that some of what he does with his improvisation comes out in his compositions. And we get that here with Witch Hunt. Yeah, that's, I a, also, that's a great point, Max. Well, you know, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> also, the little fills that Herbie Hancock plays on the keyboard or on the piano, excuse me, uh, during the melody are gold. It's just enough. It's not too much. It's like the icing on the cake. He's doing just enough that helps everything musically going on. It doesn't get in the way of anything. It's, he's not playing too much. He's just playing what's right at every point in time at all times that's herbie <laughs> and especially here it's it's so good yeah those fills from the rhythm section are are right on point then we get wayne shorter solo and i like his use of space space excuse me and his rhythmic differentiation so he's using a lot of different rhythms and sort of taking his time a little bit i think his tone overall is a distinctive feature of Wayne Shorter. It's well depicted here. The solo is a fair representation of what Wayne is heavily delivering at this time in his career. I really love the last third of this solo, a little bit more than the first two thirds of it. And the line of demarcation for me that divides that is at the minute marker 308, where Wayne Shorter is playing around with a five or six note melody that he creates. And he repeats it with this sort of funky phrasing that builds energy into higher held out notes that build on top of one another and continue to drive the, the solo until the, the trumpet solo starts. And I want us to listen to that moment together. It's sort of the last 30 seconds of Wayne Shorter's solo. Great use of thematic development, makes for a nice build, ends his solo on the, on the low note that you'll hear, and there's just great you know, movement at the tail end of the solo. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there shows it all. I love I love that repeating idea and it builds the energy. And I think it just proves and that in general, Wayne Shorter is a very sort of organic player, especially by this time in his career. And you can't always predict where he's going. Uh and where the solo is gonna take us. That's funny. I hadn't even seen your notes. And I had written, these are the thoughts that I had after listening to, to Wayne's solo. I said there's lots of personality here in, in Wayne's playing. Um, and he's really crafted his own sound by this point in his career. Like we're really 
hearing him come into his own and his playing is just it's so organic and he's so unique in the way he plays there aren't many other saxophone players at times there's like some Coltrane influence there but it's like it's so unique when Wayne's playing it's pretty easy to tell it's Wayne playing the saxophone so and like Max said so organic it feels like it's just nothing's forced it's just all Wayne all the time (laughs) that's right and it's a little quirky some of the things Wayne Wayne does and there's going to be a lot more of that in a couple of the tracks that I'll I'll hammer on but um it's definitely I I don't want to say an acquired taste because it's not it's it's legitimate it's in there it's real um it's it's defining a lot of the music of the mid-60s from jazz greats Wayne Shorter had such an influence that you know his his importance is undeniable it's just his his tone on the tenor saxophone is very specific. And mm-hmm. at times, you know, I, when I, when I first listened to him, I would think, I don't really dig this. I'm not, you know, that's not the sound I want, yada, yada. But when you actually listen to him and check him out, you know, it, you, you start to really value what he gives us when he's soloing. And, and that tone is just, an, just a, an extrapolated part of Wayne Shorter, it's an important thing. You know, your sound is your sound. And there's a reason to Wayne Shorter's sound um, that I didn't quite get the first, you know, the first time I ever listened to him. Yeah, for sure. And there's definitely, um, at one point, I know that I have some questions about his tone. So I think we're going to get it a little bit more into his sound as we go throughout the, the episode here. That's right. So more to come on that. Then we get the great trumpet solo here from Freddie Hubbard right after Wayne. It starts out quite nice with the use of little spaces. There's a certain undeniable sense of freedom I get when I listen to this Freddie Hubbard solo. He goes in and out of different ideas that are like short statements. And then he will move right into another juxtaposition idea, you know, just an all-around different idea. And he often creates little themes um, and then we'll play a longer held out note immediately right after it's great soloistic development and movement. You don't, you know, it's another sense of where is he going to go? He gives a lot in this solo in particular, including eighth note and double timelines, repetition, blues ideas, a great range and awesome little spurts of energy. A lot of great things in this Freddie solo. And then we get the Herbie Hancock piano solo, and he definitely takes his time. He plays some great stuff with tons of intervallic movement and nice left-hand accompaniment. Some of what he plays reminds me of just a tiny bit of McCoy Tyner. I want us to listen to a snippet of this piano solo and listen for those things, especially that intervallic movement where we tend to get some notes out of the key center. You know, it's rhythmically like spot on. It's so and good. Then, <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. That's so swinging. And I, we'll get like, as we'll see, like this is just incredible from Herbie, but as we'll see throughout this album, there's not much that Herbie can't do behind a piano. Like he's got every single trick in the bag. So yeah, it's, it's just a taste here. 
one thing I'd like is to hear Herbie do some stride piano, but I don't. I yeah, I know he could. <laughs> you know, I haven't heard that. But yeah. um, other than that, you're right. And then uh, we also get the melody back in after that great key solo. Herbie delivers so much. You know, we're gonna go back to the melody. What else can you say? Uh, and again, this melody is catchy. It's also easily quotable when you're improvising. You know, if you just think about two or three uh, fourth intervals, one after the next, going up and down, you can do that in, in a lot of different keys and uh, use, you know, you can quote this head in your solo pretty easily, um, especially over a dominant seventh chord. So that's another great thing about this solo is I've quoted it quite a few times. Ba do ba da ba do ba da. You know that's yeah. very iconic, and it's 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 catchy. Um, yeah. What were we gonna say? Uh, I, the only thing I have to add to all of those thoughts, I think that's all, a lot of really you know good sentiments about this song. The one thing that stands out to me that might not stand out if you're just listening through because there's a lot going on with the composition, the melody and the solos is just the rhythm section throughout this tune. They are just so spot on the dynamics, the sensitivity while comping and just their swing feel. It's, it's really, really spot on from, from Elvin and, and Ron and, and Herbie at all times. I think you're absolutely right. And the only thing, uh, or excuse me, the only example that's even better, well, there's two on this record, but one of them is the very next song, Fee Fi Fo Fum, which also, I think, showcases the great rhythm section that we get here. Dwayne, you want to tell us about Fee Fi Fo Fum? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is definitely a, an interesting tune, an interesting form on this tune. It's just an A-B-A form. And really cool composition here the a sections incorporate like chromatic movement as well as using some two five movement and then the b sections kind of give us that one four movement that max was talking about before and gives us more of a, a blues feel in the in the b section so it's interesting how the a sections and the b sections kind of have their own feel to them and they're a little bit juxtaposed in the way that they move one moves chromatically and one moves more at an interval so definitely interesting um melody here and uh the intro is somewhat haunting which is i think is kind of the theme of this album speak no evil and there's definitely some dissonance in the last chord from herbie before we resolve into the melody and then this is just a really nice melody once again it's great dynamics and it's so well played by the horns um and one thing that really sticks out to me about this melody is the way that herbie comps behind the a sections and the b sections and it just highlights those differences in those changes. So he's using much more rhythmic chordal comping behind the A sections. And then many more blues stops and fills in the B section. So he's really highlighting kind of the differences in, in those sections. And he does a great job with that. So let's take a listen. Um, I want to listen to just the melody, the composition um, by Wayne, the horns and how they're playing. And then take a listen for Herbie. Um, comping in the back and how he treats the, the different sections. So let's listen to the, the melody here from Fee Fi Fo Fum. Ah. 
Yeah. Swing in mm. that bridge. That There's... bridge is so cool. <laughs> Herbie is also killing it with those fills. Dude, it's inc- he's so good. He's so like I think I've said this word once already. It's just sensitive. Like he's so sensitive to what's going on, right? And he's it feels like he's just always doing the right thing. I don't it's hard yeah. to it's hard to even imagine someone who could do who could play through that melody better than than what Herbie's doing there. His touch is also sensitive, like you said. Yeah. You know, it's 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 dynamic and it's uh it's it's not heavy. It's it seems natural. You know, everything that that Herbie's adding to the melody or or what he's doing in conjunction with the with the horn line and and with the drums and bass and also Ron Carter is swinging his butt off, just doing you know just just leading into those quarter notes a little heavier when that bridge hits. Yep. Um, that you know two or three bars between the end of the a section and the beginning of the b section is just incredible how they're moving into that and and transitioning it it seems so effortless and it's riding the wave of the groove yeah and i think ron carter is probably the the unsung hero on this album um we'll try to give him the praise where it's due but he's just swinging so hard at so many points but it's not necessarily always featured on the album but yeah, really good to point that out. The difference from Ron Carter as well when we get into that B section. And then we get a, a Blakey-esque press roll into the trumpet solo. We kind of heard it there at the end of that. And that's just always hip whenever you do that. So um, I'm liking that there. And then Elvin is is pretty busy at the beginning of, of Freddie's solo. And I, I like it because Freddie kind of comes in with a statement. And so Elvin's kind of like, all right, you know, we're going somewhere. Let's go. I'm going to come in, you know, hot and heavy with you. And then they kind of settle more into that that hard hitting Elvin swing that we know so well. Um, yeah, I love Freddie's first phrase of his solo, the way he comes in hot, and just the space and the the blues chops as they settle into that that B section from Freddie. It's incredible. Freddie's an incredible blues player, so some really nice chops there from from uh, from Freddie Hubbard. And then once again, just really awesome comping from the rhythm section, but especially from elvin it's really really nice just i mean max said we're not in school but we can all learn something and that's just to listen just listen rhythm section players listen to what's going on and that's something that these guys do almost incredibly well it seems like they're like they don't even have to listen they just kind of know each other so well that it's all coming so naturally must i say it again 90 percent of playing is listening yeah did you write that down I, write it down if they haven't written it down yet <laughs> We got to get it written. Put it on your bulletin board. Um, That's right. So, but yeah, only one time through the the form for Freddie. Um, so not a super super long solo here, but he gives us a lot in that in that one time through. And then Wayne comes in hot as well. And the one thing that stands out to me early in his solo is his articulation and how Wayne's not quite as precise with his articulation as some like more heavy bop players or more bop heavy players think of like uh bird or think of dexter especially earlier in dexter's career a little bit later on he kind of gets a little bit more of the coltrane in his sound so i'm not thinking necessarily that dexter but um a lot of the 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 bop dexter stuff but Wayne's sound to me is a, a bit more open and flexible. And uh, this is Max, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about Wayne's sound here and just in general? That is a complicated question <laughs> because I have conflicting thoughts. I, I, 
one basic thing, which I was going to wait until later to bring up, but it's the perfect time now. If, um, you know, might as well bring it up now. Is there's a sort of a bird-like quality to Wayne Shorter's sound. He kind of sounds duckish or squawkish to me at times. And I don't know if it's because he's putting more mouthpiece in his mouth than usual or um, it, you know, that's, or it's a, it's a, it's a, some sort of read mouthpiece combination, or it's just a, his natural embouchure, you know, that's the sound he gets. I, I don't, I don't really know particulars about how he's getting quite this. I mean, I know maybe it's some overblowing and, and some, you know, looseness with the, with the jaw and bottom lip. And again, maybe more mouthpiece than, than I would have in my mouth. Um, stuff like that, I think contributes to it, but all in all, it is Wayne shorter and it's very particular. It's like, it's like just a little bird, like, and I don't mean Charlie Parker. I mean, literal yeah. birds come to my mind. I think <laughs> of a big, like, I don't know, like, like a duck. I think of a duck, like a big duck walking around <laughs> and Wayne shorter is right behind him. And then the duck, like turns into a, a hawk and then the hawk will turn into a hummingbird and then the hummingbird turns into a cardinal. I, I'm getting that from Wayne Shorter and those little things are those little different birds that I get from him. And I know that's like, what the hell are you talking about? But to me, that's what I get from Wayne Shorter. I get like this kind of flexible, happy bird. That's, I think he was a bird in his past life. He, I don't know. He might've been, that might've been where that kind of, <laughs> open kind of squawky sound comes from it at, at points right but it, it is organic and it's unique and and if you listen to his first kind of album as a leader introducing wayne shorter he's a little more straight ahead in that album and more you know classic bop but his sound is still kind of there or at least you hear the 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 beginnings of it and and what we think of Wayne Shorter now with albums like Speak No Evil and how he sounded with Miles Davis. Some of that came out um, even in his in his earlier, more straight ahead work, his sound did. So I don't know. I, I'm not in love with his sound. I will admit that. But it's also quite unique and flexible, like you said. And he uses he utilizes it in a lot of different ways that are musically appropriate and professional. And that's a great thing I dig about Wayne Shorter. Yeah. And whether or not it's your favorite kind of thing, you know, whether or not you prefer this or you're more, you know, the straight ahead bop sound, it's a super well-crafted sound. You can tell that Wayne is, yeah. there's a lot of work going into it and it's very thoughtful the way that he plays and it's very original. It's very Wayne. So yeah, there's definitely a lot to be said for that. Um, but yeah, I was just interested to kind of get your, your thoughts on, kind of Wayne's sound so but one thing I will say um about Wayne and this solo is his phrasing in this solo is just so awesome it feels like Wayne is telling me a story through this solo with with his phrasing um so I really like that and there's some really nice repetitive moments in there as well and then a melody quote at the end of the solo always a nice touch so really nice solo here from Wayne and we just I, a really good feel for his sound in this solo and then Herbie takes the next solo, and we get some some really, really nice blues chops here from Herbie. And then he ends with some, some modal movement, which is kind of the Herbie thing to do. And we're kind of getting that with this album, kind of combining the, the more classic 
hard bop blues stuff with some more modal more almost beginning to sound more modern um ideas in there so and then the head out is is what you'd expect here just back through the the form and this is just such a a cool tune it's so well arranged composed the melody is super super interesting and all these melodies just get stuck in my head so easily they're very catchy wayne is one of the best jazz composers post bop um undeniably you know i i I think that's very true the other thing to catch is the endings of these of these tunes they're not very complicated but i want people to check out the symbol playing from elvin jones it's always it just brings everything up to another level and so listen for his his use of the symbols on the last note of this tune fee fi fo fum and other tracks as well on the album um elvin jones is is delivering a lot and sometimes you don't even realize it until you actually you know purposefully listen to it yeah yeah for sure so just yeah when you're listening to this just keep in mind to listen for what the rhythm section's doing maybe take another listen back through and be like all right i'm i'm, I'm rhythm section this time i'm gonna focus on elvin and ron and, and herbie exactly yeah zone in on some of these players and then we get a third track called dance cadaverous did i say that right yeah <laughs> all right i i think all in all this this dance cadaverous tune is very interesting it's sort of an ominous melody it also alludes to the title of the album speak no evil we're kind of inching closer towards that sort of vibe or feel emotional impact that we get from things like good versus evil here we get that ominous melody equipped with long drawn out notes that reveal themselves as the recording continues past the introduction it also it almost lingers but listen to the dynamics that are used and i think wayne and freddie are playing together so well on those dynamic movements of the melody where they'll grow a long note in a musically effective way and their releases are together too the introduction is interesting because it mainly uses shorter notes which juxtapose the long notes of the actual head or melody neat trick and then it's also in three four times so we're getting a, a song in three here it's a it's made up of two 32 bar sections multiples of 16 wayne and his 16 bar melodies and phrases we see it again you know he likes the 24 bar and then here he's using the 32 bar section form of the song we're getting also some minor major sounds here think jazz melodic minor scale or more modal playing um, and we also get a piano solo and a saxophone solo specifically. So not everybody gets a solo here. Herbie starts off his solo with some sort of shorter tension-filled phrases. And some of what he's playing sounds as if he's sort of floating on top of everything else. I want us to listen to that touch from Herbie Hancock on the piano and, and see if you can get a sense of that floating technique that he's doing. And I don't know if it's intentional. It just sounds like that's what he's doing. He's on the clouds while the rhythm section is just holding it down with the gravity of of what they do. Yeah, and I wanna I'm gonna let this clip play a little bit longer than Max had uh maybe intended. I wanna point something out about this is just Herbie's playing his we get such a feel for his playing here and how far ahead of his time he was really on this track. And his sense of harmony and his ability to kind of paint color into his his playing. Herbie can be such a colorful playing. And when we think about that, we 
when we say the word color, we're kind of thinking about how can I use extensions to make this chord sound different in different ways. And Herbie is just a really a master of harmony. And we're getting that here in this this clip that we're about to listen to. So I want I want you to think about that kind of floating and Max have floating um, thing. And I think that's just because Wayne or, or sorry, not Wayne. Uh, Herbie is just such a master of harmony that he's able to kind of float with the harmonies that he's playing and the what he's playing here. So let's let's take a listen to that um, that snippet right here. Right. I, I also get the floating sensation from the length of his notes. And, you know, it's not exactly, I don't know, um, mechanically divided. It's, I don't know how to say it, but his rhythm is, is just like, it's a little loose, but it's in the pocket and it feels good and it's in there, but it's just sort of like, flowing. I don't know. It's flowing. It's yep. it's wind. It's windy. It's like going right into the next, but not in a def, in a necessarily well defined way. But it comes across as defined just because they're great players and they're in there. And you know, Herbie's feeling it right. It's just sort of like I don't. It's just it's just like a cape floating in the wind, uh, yeah. or the ma flying magic carpet ride. You know. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, it's definitely really nice there from from Herbie. Now, I also want to check out a little bit later in the Herbie solo because we get something quite different where he's more heavy-handed and he goes into some triplets and 16th note runs and ideas and then he'll ease up a bit and go back into the floating style. So to me, this is sort of like a sandwich where the bread is where he's sort of light and floaty and the meat and the bacon and the lettuce and tomato <laughs> is this next part that we're going to listen to. And, and Dwayne, I want to hear what you think about it, but let's listen to it first. See what we think. Yeah. Overall, it's quite short. I mean, we're talking maybe 20 seconds, but um, that to me, that little clip is so different than the rest of the Herbie solo. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could think about it. I kind of think it's a little out of place. Uh, and I hate to say that about a, a Herbie Hancock solo because how dare I? <laughs> I'm gonna, but, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna argue that point a little bit. I, think, I, I knew you would. I, I think it's, it, I think it's perfectly in place. I think that it kind of Herbie doesn't want you to just settle into this nice flowing playing, like it. That's not how Herbie is. He's not just like you can expect what Herbie's gonna do next. So I think Herbie's kind of you know throwing us a little bit through it for a curveball here and it's I don't know I, I enjoy what he's playing it's not um what you might expect here but I I think it's in the pocket it's 
it's interesting, it's unique. So I I I I enjoy what Herbie's playing here. It definitely matches the the feel of the song and and what the album overall intends for. I think. Uh, I just parts of it sound more like an exercise in like I don't know classic you know piano classical piano is what I'm getting a little bit I mean not not the whole thing and you're right it fe- it still feel it feels good enough it's still in the pocket and um, he's taking you somewhere else which is, which is what great musicians do uh, so so I do like that it's different than what he was doing before he played that um it just kind of struck it is struck out of me it's like slightly jarring it's jarring it's like okay i I think those that's the intention from herbie oh i'm sure it is and and uh, and that's the great thing about these players is what they're doing i mean they they mean it and and it's again musically interesting and you're right it, it is more or less appropriate um i just i don't uh, it just sort of came out of left field for me, but I like how he went back into the floating thing. I mean, it's not like you want to, you want to do the whole solo a certain way. Yeah. So I understand, I understand changing it up and going somewhere else with, with it. Um, just a little jarring, like you said. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. And then we get Wayne solo on this rec on this track. Um, and I love his, his sort of rips and honks and he'll do lip falls. And this is, sort of the flexibility we were talking about with his tone and with his sound and his approach really is where he'll do all sorts of little different things on the instrument in different ranges and it comes across really well um and i I want us to listen to just a little snippet of of a solo and listen for those things The dynamics there were really nice as well. He like goes down in that kind of honk, but then he's really, really soft and and gentle when he comes back in. Yeah, even though it's post-bop jazz and what we'd consider maybe more modern playing, we still get character in Wayne Shorter's sound and approach. And that is what is so refreshing um, and interesting about Wayne Shorter is all the little things he'll do like the honk and and the little rip and lip falls that you think of maybe more swing era players or early bebop players, but Wayne Shorter kind of keeps that tradition and just plays it, plays around with it, and does different things with it. And that's a great thing about Wayne Shorter. There's also a lot of up and down motion in the solo, and um, sometimes he'll juxtapose that while holding out a higher note longer than expected towards the ends or towards the end of a solo. Um, and again, some of his sound is a little duckish, like I was getting at earlier, but it's just sometimes a little thin, but it's overall full at the same time. It's, it's hard to describe it, again, like, it, like he's got more mouthpiece in his mouth than I would, but it also sounds like some beginning saxophone students <laughs> I've had to deal with. Oh God. But you know, it's, it's like uh, refined. It's sort of that beginning squawky saxophone sound, but it's been worked on and it's been developed and molded in a way that is musically interesting and and distinctive. And that proves, you know, the greatness of Wayne Shorter. And um, what he can do with that sound is a lot more than 
a lot of other people could do. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Then we get that haunting melody that comes back in. And I think both the horns along with Elvin's purposeful drumming creates an added dramatic effect that makes this sort of long note melody or head come alive. The ending is very straight to the point, but it's classy. Um, it's classic as well. So great endings that are, that are, you know, they're not too involved, but they're also not nonsensical either. So all in all, a, a great track, Dance Cadavers. Yeah, very unique track as well. Yeah. And it fits, it fits the album super well. So, yeah, it's a cool track. And now we get into the title track, the fourth track on the album, Speak No Evil. Um, this one has an AABA form this time. The A sections are 14 bars, though, and the B sections are 8 bars. So, interesting um, length to to this this form. And we get a lot of half step, half step movements throughout the changes. We kind of spoke about how this is very much feels like a hard bop meets uh, more modal jazz kind of feel. So that half step movement kind of alludes to more modal stuff going on. And we get a, a long tone melody through the A sections. Um, and Herbie gives us some fills on the piano. And then we get a rhythmic B section that really builds throughout the last in, or builds throughout into the last two bars of the bridge. And then Wayne uh, starts his solo out in the second bar of the form. And I, I love that. I think it just shows you don't have to come in super hot playing double time lines. Like you can give the the song, the form, some room to breathe before you come in. Um, and so that's, that's something that I like from Wayne here uh, and a good technique to keep in mind. And there's a really great use of different motifs. I think Max kind of spoke about this, like kind of the themes, um, just a really nice use of different motifs and ideas in the A sections. And then he usually gets into playing more more so lines during the, the B sections. And then we get the lick. And I think I, I in my notes I said maybe for the first time on the pack podcast, but we might have had it once before. Let's take a listen for the, the lick there uh, on this track. Give me one second. Max, do you know another time when we might have had the, the lick or not? I don't know. You might... You might. I do. I do. I think it was in uh, T.S. Monk's album. Um, okay. Ah, uh, what was that called? It had uh, Helen Sung. The name of the what, album? Two, yeah, I Two don't, Continents, One Groove is the name of the album. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a cool Two album. Continents, One. Yeah, it is. Uh, Two Continents, One Groove. I'm pretty sure the sax, the tenor sax player yes played, you're right played the lick yep, yep. yeah so maybe yeah one of the the first few times but i'm sure we'll hear it a lot more if you don't know what the lick is go to youtube and type in the lick and then i think there's a youtube video of like it just being played in a million different settings like just different live clips of different musicians playing it so and you hear it in more than just jazz music so let's let's take a listen for that he doesn't play it verbatim but he he does quote the the lick here um during his solo gotta catch the lick when you can yeah it's always it's almost like a jazz meme at this point like when someone plays the lick on a gig it always you know everyone looks over and uh, gives them a little smile or a little smirk you know right the other thing about that clip is that beginning where he's repeating that one note that 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 to me again with the birds i get an image (laughs) 
I get the woodpecker. I'm getting the woodpecker right there. <laughs> uh, I want to see Max transcribe a Wayne Shorter solo, but not in notes. I want him to <laughs> transcribe it in birds or transcribe the notes and then above it put like, uh, you know, beginning and ending markers like parentheses and the different birds. So you'll be able to see his transcription along with the birds that Wayne Shorter <laughs> is for that that point in We're- time. We're getting the woodpecker on that clip. Okay, so we're we're at woodpecker there. That's good to know. Thanks, Max. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's just cool. Um, you can kind of hear kind of that the kind of motifs that we talked about. Kind of he's like hitting on that one. Max said repeating the idea and then kind of going into that that lick there. And then Freddie kind of gives us a more linear fashion throughout his solo, which only lasts for one chorus. Again, we're only giving Freddie one chorus. I guess they're just like. Freddie, you're going to get a chorus and you're going to have to deal with it. So it has some really great moments. He comes in super hot on his solo right away. Uh, kind of a different approach from Wayne, as I had mentioned, kind of giving it a, a bar to breathe. And there's there's much less space in Freddie's playing here as opposed to Wayne's playing. There's a lot of space in Wayne's playing. So definitely we're getting kind of different feels on the solos, which is it's cool. Um, getting kind I of also go ahead. Yeah. I also think on this particular Wayne Shorter solo, it's a little bit more stellar in my opinion. I I, I think he digs in a little bit more. There's like an extra shot of chutzpah in yeah. this sax solo compared with the others on the album. Not to say that the others aren't as good because there are great solos. But here he just digs in a little bit more and I'm really enjoying what I'm getting from Wayne Shorter during his solo on the tune speak no evil yeah for sure and then as we kind of talk about solos that stand out herbie takes the wow i had written harby instead of herbie i guess i don't know how to type i was like who is harby um herbie takes the final solo uh on the album and it's just really it's a master class here from herbie the bop lines are clean and they're crisp his left hand is is just on point at all times The development of ideas from Herbie is fantastic, and he gets very rhythmic during the last A section, which is cool. And one thing we're going to do here, this is um, buckle in because uh, I want to take a listen to this entire Herbie solo because I think it it paints such a good picture as to why Herbie is one of the best to ever do it. It gives us kind of a taste of everything I've talked about with Herbie thus far in this album. I think we get it all here in one solo, so... Buckle in. We're gonna we're gonna listen to Herbie's solo and really appreciate uh, what Herbie's doing on on this track. So let's take a listen to Herbie's solo on "Speak No Evil." Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, behind the beat there. Oh. 
Well, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? I don't think we need to say much. Um, <laughs> One thing I want to say is it seems like every four or eight bars, he starts centering what he's playing around a different idea. Yeah, but it, the, it doesn't feel segmented, though. That's what's so beautiful about Herbie, you know? Right, right. No, I had to really think about that point. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it, it comes across so organic and awesome and, and, you know, one idea right into the next. And it's so spot on rhythmically. It feels good. And he's giving us so much in terms of language and ideas and, and playing around with both rhythm and melody and harmony. Um, it, it's great. And I just I zoned in on that. It's like every four bars he starts centering what he's doing around a sort of movement and yep. then he extrapolates it from there. Yep. And yeah, really. Yeah. That development. That's one thing that I kind of mentioned is that development of the ideas is so fantastic. And one thing that stood out to me there, I didn't have it written down, but he's so, his feel is so good. He can play behind the beat so well. Um, I don't know if we talked, I'm sure we've mentioned it, but playing behind the beat in jazz is you'll hear Oscar do it so well is when you're intentionally not playing on the beat, you're dragging behind the beat, but it's to, in order to kind of swing the feel a little bit more and Herbie can play behind the beat so well. And we heard it, it points there. It's just like so deep in the pocket when he does some of that stuff. Yeah, you can drag a little bit and then catch up on yep. the field too, you know, and that's where we get that swing, that pulse, and and it's sort of the consistency of how well you're going uh, from behind and back to the beat, or maybe some players are a little up front of the beat, you know, they'll they'll kind of push the beat a little bit, and that sort of swing and movement is what makes great jazz great, and we're getting that here from Herbie and the gang. We also get it. From Ron Carter's bass on this track, his bass line during the A sections is unique and very, you know, well-defined, but it moves really well. It feels really good, too. And I think both Ron and Herbie's accompaniment here is masterful. We get a sense of, of sort of a peaceful movement. Um, I don't know. On, on specifically Ron Carter's bass line, where, where it's sort of like during those A sections, uh, some of what he's doing sounds like he's sort of falling, you know, but he's going mm -hmm. down the base. Yeah. I'm getting falling leaves or like this peaceful yet very long waterfall. Don't look down. The water's nice, but you could fall to your death. I mean, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm getting, but you're not going to fall because of how well Ron Carter is swinging. He's holding it together. Yeah. And I appreciate Max continuing to point out what Ron does so well because it it's like so good that it's almost easy to miss at points if that makes sense sometimes bass players that are so good you don't even realize how good it is until you're specifically listening for them yeah it's, that's right um it's like you don't you don't realize how good it is because of how good it is yeah yeah, if it were bad, it'd be like, oh man, well that didn't that didn't that didn't fit well. But with Ron, it's just like everything is so right where it needs to be and so tasteful and well placed. So, anything else on that? 
no, that's that's it. Just really some awesome solos on that. And Herbie, I mean, whew, that you, we get a sense for why Herbie is who he is and why he's become the player he's become. Yeah, speak no evil speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the fifth track, uh, the penultimate track called Infant Eyes. This is a classic ballad that we know of associated with Wayne Shorter, and this is sort of the ballad on the album and and the recording of this tune. Um, don't be like me and confuse this title with the other ballad of a similar name called Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes and Infant Eyes are two very different songs. And um, thank you, man. I think there was one. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure I was on a gig once, and the, either the bass player or somebody asked me, Hey, you know Infant Eyes? And in my head, I was like, Yeah, I know Infant Eyes. I, I like that tune. It's a great, great tune. I, I love the Gene Ammons version. And in my head, I was like, wait, that's not infant eyes. That's angel eyes. <laughs> so <but laughs> there is no Gene Ammons version of infant eyes. I don't think. <laughs> I was gonna say, those are those are not the same. Uh, so I, I immediately clarified, said, no, let's do angel eyes. He said, oh, OK, I, I can read that one. So we were on two very different wavelengths. So don't be like me. Um, and, and this is another great Wayne Shorter composition. It's an ABA form with nine measure sections. He's not doing no 16 bar sections it's, or 24 bar sections here. It's so unique. His compositions are just, yeah, it's different. It's not like, let's just play, yeah, 16 ABA or 20 bar. You know, it's it's so unique from, from Wayne. Let's do nine measure sections. Yes. How does that sound? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and all in all, original ballads are hard to write and are even harder to pull off if you're not thinking, you know, Broadway or the classic Great American Songbook tunes or maybe like the Duke Ellington ballads we get or people like his his uh, great composer friend Billy Strayhorn. Those guys could write ballads, but the average saxophone player that's great at jazz improvisation and, and plays all the gigs it's a little harder for us to write ballads and even have ballads become jazz standards. So props to Wayne Shorter for just not only attempting it, but for having his tune become so iconic. It's kind of hard to do these, have an original ballad do that. And I think this is probably the most listened to track on Spotify um, because of that. It's, it's so iconic. The melody we get is equipped with many long notes, it's kind of whole notes or dotted half notes, and it's usually accompanied with three eighth notes leading into those longer notes. And I get a sense of moodiness from this melody. It's making me feel a lot of different things at once, and harmonically we get a number of sus chords. There's a nice mix of minor chords, sus chords, and major seventh chords. So sonically we're getting a lot of different things in addition to a great lingering note melody. We're also getting pretty sensitive playing in general on this one. They are definitely in no rush on this track, and they're also definitely not slowing down. The energy is subtle, yet present and not forced, and that's another lesson here if you're a player. You know, you can play in a way that's sensitive and subtle, but you don't slow down, and that's the key difference between, you know, the men and the boys, as they used to say. Wayne Shorter is the feature here. We get a little bit featured um, piano playing from Herbie Hancock flashing through at times. Overall, there's great length and directional playing. 
it's as if we're showcasing terrific soloistic movement, but sort of in slow motion. And I want us to hear that a little bit together, get that sort of sense of how slow we are, but it's still moving at the same time. thoughts i just that's so i don't know i almost forgot to pause it because i was uh just like kind of entranced uh <laughs> it just right. moves so well together they're all so playing so well together and yeah that's really nice i really like listening to wayne shorter's long notes when he's improvising mm-hmm. you know not o- not only do a lot of songs on this album utilize longer notes in effective ways but he also does it in his solo and that's not typical of most saxophone players and um you know many at this time i mean you know different players play differently but he really does that and you can hear that on that last note of that that snippet there um almost the last note yeah so it's great what wayne's doing herbie hancock also solos just one nine bar section He's very colorful, great sonic approach. It's fun to listen to Ron Carter on bass during this tune as well. He basically emphasizes a lot of root movement, either on beats one and three, or he'll do some eighth note repetitions on the chordal roots too. I want us to listen to a little bit of that and and zone in on what Ron Carter is doing. It works to leave space and be supportive, but again, not be in the way. It's a lesson for bassists out there. You don't have to play so much all the time as long as you're locked in. Yeah. He's just going, da-dum. Yeah, he's just pedals. Yeah, it's pedals, and it's and you know it's sometimes on one and three, it's sometimes as eighth notes. Um, So he's playing around with the rhythm more than the notes, I think, and it's just such a great technique and supportive way of playing as a bass player. Um, More great Ron Carter. Yeah, for sure. I mean, then the mel. Yeah, go ahead. I yeah, it's all. I mean, more great. It's all great. It's like (laughs) so good. (laughs) <laughs> hey remember how ron carter was so good the last tune well he's even better he's, this yeah, tune. it's like wow he's <laughs> still fantastic <laughs> <laughs> then the melody comes back in i love wayne's use of vibrato also on this track he kind of goes back and forth from straight tone to using vibrato on some longer notes and we're going to listen to a little bit of that pay attention to the stylistic choices he plays on with these drawn out notes at the end of the tune Um, especially that last note reminds me of one saxophone player in particular, but let's listen to it first. And, and I'll mention that at the end of this. (laughs) 
Yeah. So a couple of things to say is I, I really like Wayne Shorter's tone on this song. Yeah. And, and that's a different feeling that I get from some of his other solos on other songs. And so for some reason, when he does a ballad, it sort of opens up his sound a little bit mm-hmm. and he'll pull more tricks out of the bag in subtle ways, like how he's treating these longer notes at the ends of them. There is some vibrato. There is a lot of style. Um, you just got to pay attention to it. And at the very end of that, he has a little bit of subtone with that classic vibrato. And we're getting a little inch of the great Ben Webster at yep. the end of that. Yep. That's what, you know, that last 10 seconds, I was like, okay, there's some Ben Webster here. There's some, there's some classic ballad playing that is in Wayne Shorter. And it comes out at moments like this. Yeah, especially that last note, the way he holds it out and then kind of tapers into the vibrato and releases there. It's very, it feels very Ben Webster for sure. Exactly. And that's not a connection you'd normally make. Um, I can't remember who it was. Maybe Stan Getz. I don't know the particular player, but there was a great saxophone player. I'm pretty sure maybe Stan Getz. And somebody asked them, um, who is their favorite ballad playing saxophonist? You know, who's their favorite sax player to listen to to play ballads? And this guy said Wayne Shorter which is kind of out of left field ballads. You usually think Ben Webster, you think maybe Gene Ammons, you think Illinois Jaquette, I Quebec, mm. that type of player, Dexter Gordon, um, Dexter Gordon, even John Coltrane. Yep. Oh yeah. I, yeah. You know, but you don't normally think Wayne. And so I don't, I wouldn't bet on it. Maybe with Stan Getz, I'm not sure, but somebody, you know, big and famous noted Wayne Shorter as their favorite ballad player. And that was, really surprising yeah yeah but you kind of get why when you listen to moments of infinite yeah for sure well let's let's move on to the the sixth and final track on the album entitled windflower this tune is in six four which is cool because how many songs in this era were in six i don't think it was that that many um and just another, right. another time where i enjoy the the composition of the melody here it's it's just a really nice melody as all the other tunes are basically and the rhythm section comping on solos in this is just top notch it's i mean it's top notch throughout the album but it's continuing here so uh herbie is just he's so creative and ron and elvin are just so tight and so expressive in the way that they comp um it's just it's so on point from the rhythm section here and then we get some some really cool lines from Herbie in his solo, kind of showing off some of his chops with uh with the double timelines here from from Herbie. And there's a really cool ending to his solo. I want to take a listen to the ending of of Herbie's solo here on Wildflower. More Herbie, huh? <laughs> yeah, gosh. Imagine that I'm like, oh, let's listen to what Herbie's doing here. A piano player listening to a piano player. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, here we go. Yeah, I just like that rhythmic kind of development that ten, there. That 10 seconds was... Uh, sorry, my dog's barking at nothing. She's barking at Herbie. <laughs> right. She's a great solo, Herbie. Yeah, um, she's fine. That little 10 seconds there 
put the biggest smile on my face. It was just sort of a very happy moment. I yeah. don't know why, but you know, the rhythmic interplay he's doing, uh, it just sort of lightens up the, the seriousness of some of this music and those kinds of repetitions make me smile. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so, I, like we said, like I said, creative from Herbie, he's just so creative, right? It's like, he doesn't fall into just doing one thing over and over. I mean, there are some pianists that are really good at like certain things. Um, not to box McCoy Tyner into like McCoy's incredible, but McCoy has definitely a way of playing that he falls back on a lot, you know? Um, but Herbie is just like, you never know what to expect from Herbie. He could play that kind of McCoy Tyner modal kind of thing. Um, but he can also give us so many different things. So he's just so creative at all times from, from Herbie. Um, so I really enjoy that. And then one thing that we get throughout the album, but here again, is just really nice dynamics from the horns in the melody. Um, the melodies here are just all so dynamic and they're playing in general is just also dynamic and Freddie and Wayne just really do mesh really well together. And we get that here on, on the melody. Um, and overall, I think this is a nice tune. It's not the album's best, but I think there's definitely some cool stuff going on here. Also, Herbie also delivers a lot of double time lines, and so his chops come out just a little bit more oh, on yeah. this last on yeah. this last track. So that's a neat thing too. And you don't expect to have more than one song with a different time signature. Um, and here we get two songs because of this one and Dance Cadaverous. Um, one in three and one in six, four. So that's a neat thing about this album too, is that two of the songs are in a different time signature other than four, four. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it definitely uh, fits the album. Well, it's interesting as a closer, but I definitely enjoy this track. Um, but let's, let's get into now that we've wrapped up all of the, the tracks on the album, let's get into our top three tracks and our not so hot track for, for this album, Max. Why don't you go ahead and, uh, and go first there? Why, thank you, good sir. Yeah. Uh, my top three tracks, uh, number one, we got the title track, Speak No Evil. The name of the album, the name of the song, the name of the tune that reminds you what a great rhythm section should sound like. So we get that on Speak No Evil and the, all the little things that Herbie adds and the way Ron Carter swings and the solos. I really like what Wayne Shorter does. He sort of digs in a little bit more. And just a little bit more energy we get from him, which is matched by Elvin Jones's playing. Everything just comes together and synchronizes in a way that's undeniably great. And we get that with Speak No Evil. Number two, Fee Fi Fo Fum. I think the bridge is swinging. You know, it's swinging me in my seat. That's how hard we're swinging on that bridge. <laughs> uh, so some great things on Fee Fi Fo Fum. Number three, my third track, my third favorite is Witch Hunt the first track on the album. That melody is stuck in my head and uh, great solos as well. I think Infant Eyes is an honorable mention. It's so iconic and important that you got to mention it and talk about it. I just prefer some of what we're getting from a couple of the other tracks, just a little bit more. And then if you don't know, for every album, we, we both provide a not-so-hot track. Sometimes it's very clear and evident what that is other times it's very difficult to pick a track that's not up to par with the others this one was somewhere in the middle i went with wildflower the last track on the album as my not so hot for a number of reasons number one it's just if you took that 
track away from the rest of the album and you still had the first five tracks, the album would still be so great. Yep. So that's what I had to go with. Um, even though I like Herbie's solo on it and it's a, it's great to have a 6-4 tune and there's a lot in there, it just wasn't quite up to par with how how well other things went in the other tracks. Yeah, uh, I think that you make some great points there. And so my uh, my number one track on my top three is also Speak No Evil. Um, I just think we get so much from all the players on this track. It's the title track. It's the melody is incredible. The playing's incredible. The solos, Herbie's solo as we listen to the entire thing, awesome. Um, and then my second track is uh, Fee-Fi-Fo-Fum as well. Uh, just another really cool tune. This is one of the tune that kind of like the melody sticks in my head a lot from this tune. And I just love the, I love the composition. I love kind of the, the change between the different sections and the feel. And then, uh, yeah, my third track is uh, Witch Hunt as well. And uh, I hate when Max is so right, but what can you do? Um, I <laughs> I do think that you could, I do think that infant eyes belong somewhere in the top three, maybe for some people. Um, but these are kind of personal top threes. And I think infant eyes is, uh, if you could put it number one and I wouldn't argue with it, um, or anywhere in the top three. Uh, so that's a great tune as well. And good, good honorable mention max. So, um, yeah, I, I hate when max is right. It really has bothered me for, I mean, how long have we been friends? No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. But Max, Max hit the, the the nail on the head here with this top three. Um, and also the Not So Hot. I think Max makes a great point. Wildflower is, a, is an awesome tune, but I don't think you could take any of those other five tunes out of the album. I think it would uh, be way more devastating than if you were to pluck Wildflower from the end of it. So, uh, wow, I didn't mean to make that pluck a Wildflower. Okay. Um Hey, no <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I agree there. The not so hot for me is wildflower, but still a, a, a nice tune and some really cool stuff going on. Um, but let's get into our overall album thoughts and our, our ratings here. So I'll, I'll go ahead and, and go first with mine and I'll let Max go second. So um, speak no evil is regarded by many as Wayne Shorter's finest work. And the proof is in the pudding on this album. All of the elements fall right into place on this quintessential Blue Note recording. The compositional determination and the elite group of musicians all basically in the prime of their careers. This album has withstood the test of time and is still so well regarded by current musicians and critics. Uh, the compositions have so much character and they're just incredibly dynamic as is the playing on them. There cannot be enough said about the players on this album. Uh, Wayne and Freddie are a match made somewhere beyond heaven. Freddie compliments <laughs> Wayne so well and stands out when called upon. And there just really aren't enough words to describe Wayne's playing on this album. It feels like a true coming of age, I'm here to stay, this is me kind of performance from Wayne. And Wayne just does Wayne so well. And it's it's beyond a pleasure to soak in him kind of you know, express himself on this album. And so the rhythm section on this album will be living in my dreams for the next few weeks. And it's deservedly. So it's just, per it's perfection in rhythm section form. I mean, it's hard to give that high of praise, but it, it really is. Uh, Ron Carter and Elvin Jones could be twins for all I know with the inherent level of telepathy and togetherness. It's incredible how glued those guys are together. Um, and 
I can't I can't even get started with Herbie Hancock's performance here. I mean, we kind of we kind of realized it as we were listening. I'd be like, let's listen to Herbie here and here and here. Um, his playing on this album stands out in so many ways to me. He shows he has every single trick in the bag and can, he can do it all. And Herbie was certainly ahead of his time. And lots of what he's playing here is putting this on full display. He brings what would now be considered a, a more modern approach to a 1964 Blue Note recording. And I think that that's, that's enough said for, for Herbie there. Um, this album deserves all the praise it receives. And there's a warm seat for it in any Jazz Hall of Fame. It simply does not get a whole lot better than this album here from Wayne Shorter and Company. And uh, my overall score is a 9.5 out of 10. So definitely a, a really good score for this one. So you like Kirby Hancock. Is that what you're selling? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? It's weird because like I wouldn't like I mean, I think he's great, but like he's not I don't always love everything that Herbie does, but this is so spot on from Herbie. I mean, Herbie's incredible, but this is this is this is great Herbie right here. Would you say this is some of the best Herbie on record? Yeah. Probably. I, I, I think so. I mean, there's so much great Herbie, but this is this is just I mean, it gives you everything you need. I mean, if yeah. If you Yeah, it's like Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say it's almost like that word perfection that we'll associate with guys like Hank Mobley or somebody. Yeah. Um, but here it's an it's like a different side of perfection. It's like it's everything is is meant to be where it is. And that's hard to be that consistent. Could anyone else have done a better job on this record? I mean, could could there be a better piano performance on this record i don't know if it's possible well yeah i mean there's probably, some greats who would do a great job but like herbie just is so everything about herbie's playing on this is it's so fantastic everyone is so well matched yep it's it's hard to deny that there would be a better player for this particular album yeah so i think you're right about that um my overall thoughts, here we go. I wrote a lot, so dig in. <laughs> Basically, I think this Blue Note classic is a collection of originals by saxophonist Wayne Shorter, who's accompanied with an all-star cast. It's basically Miles' second quintet without Miles, and we're swapping out Tony Williams for Elvin Jones here. We're graced with Herbie on piano, legendary bassist Ron Carter, the fantastic drummer Elvin Jones, in addition to getting great trumpet playing from Freddie Hubbard on most of these tunes. The compositions, I think, speak for themselves, as well as the solos. Witch Hunt starts the record off equipped with an interestingly energetic introduction that leads us into a melody defined by its use of the fourth interval. There is a sense of attitude behind this head, which helps aid the passion expressed in the tune's improvisations. Wayne starts off nice and strong before he heads into some longer notes, followed by great short runs that go into a playful, repetitive theme, working to continue drive, energy, and interest. You can also clearly get a sense of Wayne's distinctive sound and approach right off the bat. I think his sound is a unique, almost duckish quality to it. It's obviously distinctive at first, and it also seems like an acquired taste, but trust me, it grows on you really quickly. The first track also includes my favorite trumpet solo on the record from Freddie. A sense of true freedom is felt in the iteration of Freddie's lines and ideas. 
Herbie swings really well on this one too. The only thing more swinging than that would be the next track, Fee Five O Fum. The bridge is directly related to the blues, while the feel has a deeper pocket and swing than we normally expect from Mr. Shorter. It's got a great medium tempo too, which is being taken advantage of by everyone here, especially trumpeter Freddie Hubbard. Ryan Carter's bass makes the track come alive. Listen for how well he is locked in with Elvin in the depth of the quarter note. Dance Cadaverous is a similar tempo, but in a three feel. Wayne's melody uses lingering notes in very interesting ways. This use of longer notes is a defining element to this album and will be utilized in other tunes on this album too. Wayne also plays a lot with sound, using all parts of his range at varying dynamics. He's definitely organic too. Herbie's solo is interesting as well. He almost floats atop everything else while playing this almost classical feel around the 240 mark. Perhaps a little out of place, but maybe not. It seems like a moment of third stream. The next track, Speak No Evil, is a masterpiece. If you listen to the fills of Herbie, the bass lines of Ron, the togetherness of the horns, and the in-the-pocket symbols of Elvin Jones, then you understand why. We also get more digging in from Wayne on his solo and a top-notch piano solo from Herbie Hancock. Infant Eyes is likely the most referenced tune from this album. It is hauntingly brilliant, complete with Wayne's moving yet slightly quirky tone and light but powerful accompaniment from the rhythm section. Wayne's use of vibrato is great too. This track is the ultimate example of what one can do with expressive long notes. Wildflower is the last tune on, uh, on the album, giving us a second song with a different time signature. The dynamic synchronicity between Wayne and Freddie is on point. Herbie's double-time improvisations are also a nice touch. It's also important to listen to the varying ways Elvin Jones accompanies the solos. He's building along with each soloist and listening while engaging in endless swinging activity. His presence raises the level of musical engagement, making sure the album concludes in a satisfactory manner. Wayne Shorter's Speak No Evil is a stellar recording that exemplifies the quirkiness and creative artistry that one imagines when that name, Wayne Shorter, is mentioned. Along with catchy melodies and a hauntingly brilliant ballad, we get, we get terrific solos and important collaborative contributions that end up making a huge impact. The rhythm section accompaniment on the title track is the prime selection of that occurrence, in addition to Elvin's drumming on Wildflower. In general, this album is deserving of serious engagement with your ears. Even though Wayne Shorter passed away earlier this year, his music continues to live on. Speak No Evil is a must-listen when one takes into account the organic solos, positive swing, engaging accompaniment, and the presence of a legendary lineup. Overall score, 9.3 out of 10. Yeah, awesome. There's a lot of really good points there, especially when you said uh, serious engagement with your ears. I usually listen <laughs> to music with my ears, Max. Uh, well, so, you know, some people some people listen with their eyes, oh, and, they don't, and they don't get it. That's you know no what good. I mean? That's no good. <laughs> I guess they must have infant eyes then if they don't get oh. it. Oh, I'm just kidding. All right, uh, so our overall combined Jazz Jam score for this album is a 9.4 out of 10. Definitely one of the, the higher-ranking albums that we've listened to on the podcast. If you want to see our power rankings and all of the, the ratings that we've done for albums and kind of want to listen to some other episodes, our website is a fantastic place to go to kind of get an idea of 
what albums we've reviewed, where they fall in our power rankings list. So go check out our website. It's linked in the, the description below in the show notes. So yeah, it's just a really awesome place. You can kind of get bios for all the musicians. You can see our overall thoughts. If you just want to read through, you can see our power rankings. Um, definitely a, a cool spot to, to go check out. Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, our next episode's album and i think we're going to be trying to get on more of a a two episode a month schedule from now on so uh that's kind of what what we're looking for we'll do one modern and uh one classic album um every month that's right yeah we'll do one classic and one newer more modern album um not necessarily musically more modern yeah yeah although a lot of times the two will coalesce and, and correlate um, and I do want to say we have been getting some emails from listeners and we appreciate the engagement too. Mm-hmm. feel free to email us with, with, uh, maybe a listener question or an album recommendation, or just to tell us you enjoy, enjoy us or, or maybe give us ideas about how, how we could do things maybe a little bit better, you know, feel free to send an email at the jazz jam podcast at gmail.com. But you're right. Our next episode, we will talk about Artemis. And their new recording in real time. Artemis is a newer group made up of uh, exclusively women jazz musicians. And it includes players like Rini Rosnes, who's well known, and others like Alexa Tarantino. There's some great musicians that collaborate together in that group called Artemis. And they've been getting around a lot lately. Um, and so their new record in real time on Blue Note Records uh is what we'll go over our next up in our next episode and and they've been getting some high praise so we'll see what we think yeah yeah that's one thing max had uh suggested a couple of albums and i was like i've been seeing this artemis album everywhere i was like i think we kind of let's take a look at this one because it's it seems to be a a hot button um album so i'm i'm excited to listen to it i've briefly checked out some of it but i'm excited to really dive into to the the album and some of the playing on it so definitely something to to look forward to next week or not next week whenever this album comes out <laughs> <laughs> well hopefully i guess in two weeks in a couple weeks goal. yeah yeah and um it's it's their second album so i i think they've been a group maybe three or four years okay um so this is their their second release and it's it's been making a splash yeah yeah so super excited um just thanks for everyone for listening to this episode definitely a really awesome album and a really cool way to kind of uh remember wayne shorter and and his legacy i mean he played for so long played up until basically you know the end of his his life so a lot of great things from wayne and so many players that were influenced by him so it's great to check out kind of his his staple performance the one that people think of uh so it's been a really cool episode yeah it's great to dig into uh, some of these players and what they do and again there's always things to 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 learn from these musicians and to listen for and and the way they interact with each other um you know it's one of those moments where it's like i kind of wish i was in the recording studio Mm. at the time they were recording this album yeah you know all the things you could get, the way they interact. I mean, how do, how does Wayne Shorter compose so many great songs and then they pull it off so well in the studio? I mean, what was that process like? I mean, we know about the little black book where he wrote ideas and then he probably wrote charts out and, and yada, yada. But 
and you know it's like there's a certain level of camaraderie and musicianship that is on this record that you don't get all the time yeah it would be super super awesome to be just a fly on the wall like to know like all right how many takes are we doing you know or any of these first takes or is like how many takes are we doing or how much rehearsing goes into some of these compositions or is it pretty easily picked up on by you know so it'd be just super interesting to be a fly on the wall and to see kind of Wayne you know crafting the album the way that he wanted does he you know tell people specifically like hey I only want you to do one chorus here I want this this way or to kind of see how it all comes together it'd be this is one where it'd be super super interesting to be a fly on the wall I get the sense he was kind of more open about it Uh, I mean I mean he probably said okay here we'll have trumpet here we won't yeah um you know do do this a little bit more do this a little bit less but i i feel like he was the kind of leader that let the players add things in a way that he knew would be musically advantageous and would sound good you know and, and let them be a little bit and with these guys i mean you don't really need to tell these guys much i mean it's like exactly yeah, yeah. it's these guys aren't like rookie musicians these guys are some of the best to to do it so yeah i just yeah that's a great point by max it would be super interesting but yeah it's been an awesome episode really really a great listen if you haven't listened to this album listen to it from front to back it's definitely worthy i don't think i'd ever done that i've listened to all of the tracks at some point but never in that fashion um so yeah really cool to get into this one and just want to thank everyone again and definitely go check out the website and uh we'll see you in next week's album which is uh in real time by artemis so for max levy i'm Dwayne gunnels and this has been an episode of the jazz jam podcast 